No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today, our biblical text takes a detour from Joseph's story to focus on Judah and the birth of his twin sons, one of whom would be the ancestor of Jesus Christ. We hope you'll join us now as Pastor Darrell continues in Genesis chapter 38 on Simply the Bible. Today we come to a section of scripture that some people wonder why is it even in the Bible? We pick it up in Genesis chapter 38. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. It had been a difficult situation, selling Joseph as a slave and then making it look like he was torn to pieces by a wild animal in order to deceive their father Jacob. And now Jacob had been mourning over his son Joseph and said that he would continue to mourn until he went to the grave. And Judah was probably wanting to just get out of that whole scene. And so he left his brothers and he became friends with this Canaanite, an Adullamite named Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and went into her. Now Judah was at a marriageable age. There weren't a lot of options for him. It wasn't like he could do what his dad Jacob had done and go to Paden Aram to his uncle Laban's house. And so he married this Canaanite woman whose father was named Shua. And she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur, which means awake. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Kizib when she bore him. So Judah named the first son and his wife named the other two. It would seem that she was taking an increasing role in controlling the household. Verse six, then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Again, she was probably a Canaanite. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord killed him. We don't know what he did, but God didn't like it. And Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. Now, this was a common cultural practice. This would become known as the Leverite marriage. And the idea was that if a person died and he did not have a son, then his brother was to marry his widow. And the son that she would have would carry the name of the deceased brother. And if he was the firstborn, in this case, Ur was the firstborn, then his son would have the status of the firstborn. So Onan, it was his duty to take Tamar as his wife. And Judah said, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he omitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. He was unwilling to do this service for his brother and probably because he did not 
want to give the right of the firstborn to his brother Ur's son. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah had no intention of giving Shelah to Tamar because he figured, okay, I've lost two. I don't want to lose my third one. There must be something wrong with this woman. But uh, he told her to go ahead and wait and be a widow in her father's house, having no intention of ever giving his son to her. Now, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adullamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. So she'd been waiting, trusting that Judah was going to make good on his word, but now it was obvious that he was not going to do that. So she took matters into her own hands. Now we should say that in that culture, it was a great disgrace for a woman not to have a child. And in her particular situation, she really had no options. She couldn't go marry somebody else because Judah had control over her and told her, go wait, I will give you my son. But it became evident that he wasn't going to follow through on that. Yet he didn't say that he wouldn't do it. She just made that assumption. So what choices did she have? So she decided that she would play the harlot. She put on the clothes of a prostitute and would try to seduce Judah, her father-in-law. Now, as a Canaanite, it was common. The women, the Canaanite women, would many of them would be temple prostitutes. They would use this as a means to earn money for their gods and for the, the service of the temple of their gods. So she was familiar with this whole process. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. And then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Now the signet was the identifying mark that he would put upon documents to show that it was really from him. The cord, the staff, these were all possessions that would clearly identify Judah as Judah. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend the Dolomite to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who is openly by the roadside? And they said, There is no harlot in this place. 
So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat and you have not found her. It is interesting, Judah was quite concerned about his reputation. He didn't want to be shamed. He didn't want to be a laughingstock. And if word got around that Judah was out looking for a harlot, it didn't bode well. So he said, just let her keep my stuff. Now, it's interesting to me that people so oftentimes are more concerned about what others think than about whether or not what they're doing is right or wrong. They care more about their own reputation with others than they care about what God thinks. And this is certainly the case here with Judah. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Now, in that culture, we would find out actually in the Mosaic law that if a woman was betrothed to a man and she turned up pregnant, she could be put to death. That was a capital offense. However, it would be a tough case to make that Tamar was even betrothed to Sheila since Judah had no intention of giving him to her. And clearly, this was just a severe penalty. We wonder if Judah just saw this as an opportunity to get rid of the Tamar problem. But there's such a double standard here because he would not restrain his own sexual appetite. And yet, as soon as it seems that Tamar has committed fornication, he's ready to to kill her, to burn her. So when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and staff. I wonder if at that moment, Judah had a flashback of when he and his brothers were presenting Joseph's coat to their father. Can you tell who this belongs to? Does this belong to your son? And now she's pretty much doing the same thing. Who do these belong to? This signet, this cord, this staff. Do you recognize them? And Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Sheila, my son. And he never knew her again. He never had intercourse with her after that. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth, that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, How did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zira. Again, another strange reversal of the birth order of twins, very similar to Esau and Jacob. In this case, Zira puts his hand out first, the midwife ties a cord on it, but then it's Perez who breaks through, and so they give the name Perez, which means breaking through, and he is the firstborn. And Perez would be in the lineage of Christ. The Messiah would come from him. So 
What we have is we have Tamar, a Canaanite, who is listed in the genealogy of Christ, a Canaanite who played the prostitute, and she is brought into the lineage of Christ. Judah, who was a promise breaker, a fornicator, and who wanted to judge Tamar by a double standard, he is in the lineage of Christ. Why is this story in the Bible? It's a sort of a seedy story. And yet, doesn't it show the grace of God in gathering people that are unworthy and bringing them into the kingdom, not only into the kingdom, but into the lineage of his son, Jesus Christ? You see, God doesn't use perfect people. Who would he have to work with? He uses passionate, imperfect, ordinary people like Judah, like Tamar, like you and me. Therefore, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've committed, no matter who you are, no matter what you've become, it's not an excuse not to be used by God. If we, as Judah, will say, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. I didn't do right. Forgive me, Lord. Use me. God will make you a trophy of His grace. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. They meet Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Pepper Ridge Elementary School in Boise. To listen to any of Pastor Darrell's teachings or to find out more about the church, go to their website at calvarytv.org. That's calvarytv.org. We'd love to hear from you. Tomorrow, we pick up where we left off with Joseph in Egypt. It's a fascinating story of how God remained with Joseph through the worst of times. We hope you'll join us as we continue through Genesis on Simply the Bible.